welcome and thank you for joining another episode of our Future Mobility webcast series. Today we will address the topic of clean hydrogen, widely acknowledged as key to reducing the world's greenhouse gas emissions and its relevance for the future mobility sector. My name is Nicolas Kredel. I'm an antitrust and competition partner based in Düsseldorf and I am heading Baker McKenzie's Future Mobility Group. Today we'll be talking about clean hydrogen. So we're talking about energy and about infrastructure. We have aligned a specialist panel for you. I'm pleased to be joined by my colleagues. First up, Daniel Valois, based in Rio de Janeiro, is the head of the Brazilian oil and gas practice of Trench, Rossi and Vatanabe associated with Baker McKenzie. For the past two decades, Danny has focused on high-end transactional work, international disputes involving oil and gas development projects and compliance matters involving energy companies. More importantly, Danielle has been invited by the Ministry of Mines and Energy to contribute to the Brazilian guidelines to the National Hydrogen Plan. She is also an executive secretary of the Brazilian Hydrogen Council. Next up is Claire Dietz-Polzel, who is based in Berlin, Germany. She is a partner at Baker McKenzie's uh, projects practice and co-heads the German energy and infrastructure team. Claire is one of Baker McKenzie's IMT sustainability lead partners for EMEA. Claire focuses on transactional and projects work in the energy and infrastructure sector with a special focus on the automotive area. James O'Brien is based in our Chicago office. He chairs the firm's global projects practice group, which includes over 225 lawyers working on the development, financing and acquisition and sale of energy, mining, chemical and infrastructure projects. Jim's power project development and finance work includes fossil fuel, renewables and waste derived fuel projects and is focusing increasingly on future mobility and alternative propulsion systems like EVs and hydrogen. Now the introductions are complete. Let me set the scene by explaining why a hydrogen strategy should now be firmly embedded in the business plans of future mobility companies. So why is the subject important? Well, let's consider these figures that are just the very tip of the iceberg. Globally, flights produced 915 million tons of CO2 in 2019. But CO2 emissions from shipping are projected to grow between 1,100 and 1,500 million tons per year by 2035. And finally, road transport is responsible for 74% of total transport emissions. So to really move forward towards a green future, countries around the globe are heavily investing in the development of efficient, forward-looking legislative frameworks. They concern, first and foremost, hydrogen policies, which are arguably much cleaner than electric propulsion systems and, needless to say, fossil fuel-based systems. So there's fast-growing innovation and a focus on the rapid deployment of new hydrogen technologies. There's the market pioneers, as well as new entrants to what is now a fast-paced industry. It's a race, a race to be green, not only among companies, but also 
among lawmakers for countries and for entire jurisdictions like the EU. Many countries are swiftly launching efficient, low-cost hydrogen-based solutions for the future mobility industry. The goal is to have climate-friendly techniques on road vehicles, synthetic fuels and for the aviation and maritime sectors, and developing a hydrogen transport and distribution infrastructure, or also expanding the network of hydrogen refueling stations. So we see fast-paced innovation, new and shifting policies and strategies at the national and international levels, and therefore really extraordinary opportunities for future mobility players. But also the legislative requirements can be really challenging. And so we need the guidance of our experts. Claire, since 2018, you have been working on the implementation of e-mobility projects for OEM manufacturers. I have the impression that the focus uh, to reduce CO2 emissions in the transport sector is on electrification. In which areas of the transport sector do you see room for hydrogen-based solutions? Yes, thank you, Nicolas. Indeed, when it comes to passenger cars, there is a clear focus on electrification. This is also totally in line with the strategy of the EU in its Green Deal and also with German climate protection laws. But when you look at the hydrogen strategy on EU level and also on German level, hydrogen powered vehicles uh, indeed play a role uh, besides uh, electric cars. And this is particularly true when you look at heavy duty vehicles, for example, trucks, and also in public transport, when you look at buses and rails that are hydrogen powered. Furthermore, hydrogen based fuels shall be used, for example, in the maritime and the aviation sector. However, there's really a long way to go to develop the technology until market readiness, in particular, when you look at the maritime and aviation sector. For example, if you want to use hydrogen directly in the aviation sector, you would really need a complete new aircraft design and also new uh, aircraft refueling stations at the airport. Therefore, uh, clearly uh, the focus at the moment at e-fuels like uh, synthetic fuels uh, made out of green hydrogen that then can be planted with jet fuels, for example. But not only the technical innovation is a huge hurdle when it comes to hydrogen in the transport sector, but also the missing infrastructure. Indeed, there are really no reviewing stations for hydrogen powered vehicles. So here uh, it's important to look at a new Fit for 55 package of the EU, which uh, foresees a revision of many directive regulations and other initiatives at new level uh, when it comes to the transport sector. For example, there is a revision planned on the Alternative Fuel Directive, aimed at uh, the expansion of refueling stations. And also, um, there is an amendment planned to the relation setting CO2 emission standards. So for new cars, there's a plan to reduce emissions by 55% until 2030 by setting new kind of targets. Also, um, what will have a huge impact on the transport sector is the revision of the emissions trading system. Not only will it involve shipping in future and will end some privileges for the aviation sector, but there will be also a completely separate uh, trading scheme uh, for the transport sector. 
But besides this, uh, like kind of more uh, regulatory uh, parts of the Fit for 25 package, there are also some initiatives planned, like the Refuel EU Aviation Initiative, that shall in the end oblige fuel suppliers to plant more sustainable aviation fuels in their jet fuels or also the Fuel EU Maritime Initiative, uh, which will help to stimulate the uptake of sustainable uh, maritime fuels and uh, also push zero emissions technologies in the maritime sector. Hence, uh, as you can see, there's a lot of pressure on the transport sector to invest also in hydrogen-based mobility solutions and not only in electric-based uh, uh, solutions. But there's not only pressure, there are also a lot of opportunities for the sector. And if you look at the recovery package on EU level and on German level, there are extensive funding opportunities available to invest in such new hydrogen-based solutions in the mobility sector. Thank you, Claire. So a lot of regulations, a lot of new policies and rules in the pipeline in uh, the EU. Let's turn to the US for a minute. Jim, you are now working on one of the leading hydrogen production and storage projects in the US. It's called, as I understand, the Alternative Clean Energy Storage Project in Utah, where electricity will be stored by conversion into hydrogen and later used in a combustion turbine to generate electricity and put it back on the grid. So. How does this project, the ACS, fit into how mobility meets hydrogen? Thank you, Nicholas, and thank you for spending time with us. Um, the ACES project, the Alternative Clean Energy Storage Project, will take electricity from the grid, convert it using electrolysis, which is to take green renewable energy along with water and convert it into hydrogen, and then store that hydrogen in underground salt caverns. When needed, the hydrogen can be withdrawn and then reconverted back into electricity. And the key point for today's discussion really is the energy intensity of the hydrogen that's stored. The ACES storage project will have more energy storage capability than all of the battery projects installed to date around the world. And the reason is, is because of the energy intensity of hydrogen. Of course, hydrogen creates through combustion electricity for transport, and there's lots of electric vehicles that will be powered by electricity. And electricity is great for mobility, but the dual content of electricity sometimes is not enough. And sometimes the challenge has been to find a fuel with sufficient dual content such that when it's utilized in an energy intensive use, it doesn't produce carbon. And that's where hydrogen comes in. When hydrogen is combusted, it produces only water and depending upon how it's combusted, sometimes some nitrogen oxides. When necessary for large transport uses, as Claire said, uh, large transport like large over the road trucks, marine vessels, mining vehicles, where the joule throughput of electricity isn't sufficient for that application, then hydrogen is the right application. One way really to think about hydrogen is how we think about natural gas. Although the BTU content of hydrogen is lower, nevertheless, the overall energy intensity of hydrogen looks much closer to natural gas. And so where you see natural gas, you can see hydrogen with the difference that 
combusting hydrogen doesn't create carbon. The ACES project then is a key example of the use of hydrogen. In order to be able to take large quantities of electricity in a practical and easy manner, store those in a way that when necessary to be used, it can be withdrawn and put back on the grid in a way, as I say, that doesn't create carbon. The other key factor, of course, is that the electricity is created by combustions through a turbine, in this instance made by Mitsubishi Power, which initially will burn a blend of 30% hydrogen, 70% natural gas, and over the next 10 years will eventually burn 100% hydrogen. The ACES project is an energy storage project together with um, the intensive energy used to produce electricity and other uses is really what makes it the ACES project along with hydrogen an important key part of mobility in the future. Thanks very much, uh, Jim. I think that's absolutely stunning to see the kind of innovation that's happening over in the US. So thank you so much. Danny, you have been actively contributing to the hydrogen policy making in Brazil. How do you see the perspectives for application of hydrogen in the transport sector in Brazil and in Latin America? Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, so we in Brazil, we are really honored to participate more actively on the structuring of the, the Brazilian guidelines for the National Hydrogen Plan. We were recently invited by the Ministry of Mines and Energy to contribute. Uh, when we're looking to, to Latin America, because we do have uh, all sources of natural resources in our region, most of the countries which are focusing in hydrogen, which is the case of Chile, Brazil, Colombia, are taking a rainbow approach because we have gas, we have nuclear power, we have renewables, and we have to make sure that we are successful in the run of the hydrogen economy. So when we look into the transportation sector, as Claire mentioned, the heavy-duty transport is the most promising application of hydrogen because it's hard to abate. Uh, where electrification does not reach, hydrogen could be an interesting source. But the Brazilian guideline for the Brazilian hydrogen plan also highlights the use of hydrogen in the production of renewable fuels. Recently, in May, the Brazilian National Oil Agency actually released a new uh, ruling providing for the specification of green diesel. And this may be really an interesting market, as we understand, to boost the demand for hydrogen in Brazil. Uh, Brazil, as you may know, is the second largest biofuel producer in the world, just behind the U.S., and we are the biggest sugarcane ethanol producer in the world. When we look into the Brazilian plan, biofuel, green diesel, and all the, the fuels that could come from hydrogen application would be really strategic. Uh, and also the application of fuel cell electric technology in light-duty transport, both in private and commercial sectors and buses, is more major than in heavy-duty vehicles in Brazil as well. So its commercial uh, adoption lags significantly behind the battery electric vehicles, but we are growing as well, even in the policy making. This year, the IEAA report in hydrogen in Latin America concluded that the fuel cell electric in LDVs and buses would play an initial role for the deployment of the hydrogen-based sustainable mobility technology. And in this initial, a bit limited deployment, Brazil and Latin American countries could focus on vehicle fleets in the public and private sector, especially those running on 
predetermined rules which can facilitate the deployment of hydrogen because of the still limited and costly structures of uh, hydrogen refueling. Uh, we believe that uh, the studies show that uh, the fuel cell electric heavy duty vehicles may uh, reach a technological maturity by 2030 uh, in our region. And this could possibly unlock the deadlocks that we currently have on the reduction of our emissions in our region as well. One important information as well to be shared is that we do have uh, a few uh, pilot projects going on in our region. In Costa Rica, for instance, we have buses and also light-duty vehicles using hydrogen produced from renewable electricity and also the first hydrogen refueling station in Costa Rica. In Brazil, the first fuel cell electric vehicle bus prototype was developed locally with funds from the utility-funded R&D investment obligations program of ANEL, which is the National Energy Agency. So we are growing and we see a lot, which is interesting from the energy transition perspective, uh, we see a lot what we call the co-appetition, collaboration among competitors seeking the development of high-end technology for the development and also the reduction of costs for the use of hydrogen in our region. We see many players such as Siemens, Engie and others investing in our region and considering to expand their capacity in our region to reduce the cost for hydrogen production. This is an important uh, aspect of our region. And, and while hydrogen contribution to transport sector carbonization remains still modest in our region until probably 2030, an early focus on developing regulation standards infrastructure for these new applications is really important. So we see the governments of Brazil, Chile and others trying to communicate among themselves to learn what has been developed in more developed regions such as Europe and also Asia-Pacific to get some inspiration of what has been successful and not to build the national plans which are now being implemented in our region. Perfect. Thank you, uh, Danny. I think that's extremely interesting. I see that a lot uh, of developments are uh, going on in Latin America. So interestingly, especially I think the... Um, what we also see in Europe is the collaboration between competitors and various market players to really get more innovation off the ground. Certainly opportunities that also come with risks from an antitrust angle, quite an interesting development, but of course, extremely important to make things happen. I believe that this trend of collaboration among competitors is really interesting because we are talking about a greater good which is doing the best for the planet and also for humanity. So I think this trend is increasing. We see some clients reaching out to us to seek advice from the antitrust perspective, which is really important. And we also have been perceiving the creation of uh, various sectorial coalition groups towards the creation of guidelines to qualify personnel, the proposition to local governments to create R&D rules to incentivize technological innovation. So I think uh, probably the trend of new contractual models and business models that will come from the, the energy transition sector, especially on the mobility area. Thank you. So I need uh, collaboration not only between companies, but also 
collaboration with the uh, public authorities, uh, all stakeholders. All right, so this was uh, nearly a round-the-world trip. And let me finish with a, putting a question to you. In one sentence, James, Danny and Claire, what will be the most important hurdle to overcome in your country or region for a successful use of hydrogen in the transport sector? What's the most important hurdle? Claire, maybe you can start. Yeah, thank you, Nicolas. I guess it's uh, to secure the supply of green hydrogen. You would need to ramp up extremely our production capacities within Germany. But this will by far not enough uh, to satisfy the high demand, not only in the transport sector, but also, for example, uh, in the energy intensive industry that also needs to reduce its carbon footprints. So in Germany at the moment, uh, we are looking at ways to import green hydrogen in future. They are already entering into respective partnerships, for example, with Australia, South Africa and Saudi Arabia. But not only be that the partnership has to be successful, we also need to think up again uh, on ways to transport the green hydrogen from such regions to Germany. And this again leads us to, to the point where we need uh, to think about the, the respective infrastructure that is missing until now. Thank you, Claire. So seems like uh, Germany could very soon tap into the, into the supplies that the US are supplying. Um, Jim, what do you think is the most important hurdle? I think it's the construction and installation of the infrastructure to move hydrogen around the United States. For the last 70 years, we've built thousands of miles of natural gas pipeline that crisscross the United States and take natural gas from places where it is to places where it's used. And similarly, we're going to need to construct pipelines or repurpose pipelines, natural gas pipelines, to take hydrogen from where it's made to where it's used. Thanks. So the infrastructure point, I think that's uh, definitely something that's probably also topic in Latin America. Danny, is that also where you would see the most important hurdle or, or would you be looking somewhere else? From a Latin America perspective, I would say that the stable rules would be a key point. Uh, policymakers, they must be sophisticated enough to ensure that the policies issuing from now on will give the assurance that investors need to invest in our region. And for that to happen in a successful way, not only the policymakers and standard setters must be knowledgeable and conscious of the common interest of our region, but they must open a dialogue with the private sector to listen to the interests of the various stakeholders involved and create tax incentives and other types of incentives to ensure that the feasibility studies are approved in the final investment decision of any pilot project or, or any other project in our region. I think training of personnel who will be engaged in those projects is also one of the pillars of the good development of the hydrogen economy and of Latin America and also R&D. I think there should be a heavy investment on R&D. The Brazilian government, for instance, is incentivizing that oil and gas companies who have mandatory investments in R&D to also invest in hydrogen and also in clean energy. And if uh, oil companies together with service providers, tech companies and all stakeholders involved team up towards this common goal in a stable regulation environment, 
I think we'll have more chances to succeed more rapidly. Of course, we will succeed one day, but what we want is to, to make it faster and for that to happen, dialogue, uh, humbleness, both the private and public sector must realize that they don't know it all, so they need to listen to each other and they also must be bold to create the rules that will lead to the successful transition of Latin America. Thank you, Danny. That uh, was extremely instructive. So it's not only the infrastructure, it's also the process, it's also the culture that we are building around this topic and to make sure the relevant innovation really happens. Thank you so much, Danny, Claire and Jim for your very insightful contributions. It was an extremely interesting session to me and I learned a lot. And I thank also viewers and listeners We do encourage you to tune in for the next episodes of our Future Mobility webcast, in which we will address additional new hot topics in the industry. In the meantime, please do feel free to reach out for more insights. Thank you.